My name is Susie Can, and I hope you enjoy exploring with me the thoughts that come with this thread. If you have any interest in supporting what I'm doing or getting in touch, please do so through the website kylak.ie, where you will also find other resources and connections that I create around each podcast so that if some of the tweaks of interest come to you through them, you have a place to go to go a little further and deeper or to find other information or to find a way to support by maybe wanting to collaborate or offer something or even a donation. Thanks for listening. Last time I started to delve into the purposes and the conditions for early play, for attachment and bonding and sensation awareness and the kinds of things that might get interrupted in environments for very young children, feeling and sensing the world primarily through the connection to other and the connection to sensation. As children grow and their personalities and the needs of those personalities develop, play expands and includes what we refer to often as playmates, who are the partners, who are the companions of young children's play. One of the things that I've referred to over and over in this podcast, and it's because I've used it as a reference point for my own navigating of this world, both as a parent and as a support person for children that I've worked with as a creative arts therapist and their parents, is a grounding and a return to our understanding of development from the point of view of natural development and then what's changed in the environments that we live in. There's lots of arguments about and what can be considered biological. So I go to reading and understanding our close relatives in the natural world, the different kinds of great apes that we are related to and monkey species and also wolves and creatures that live in social packs and how they influence the development of their young. And then I also go to my understanding of small village community in older cultures or ancient cultures or indigenous cultures. What stands out when I do that then helps me understand the differences of the environment that we have lived in in my life in the West, in Ireland, as it went towards this so-called goal of progress and modernizing and things that then influenced our parenting and where we could avail of our needs as parents and where our children could avail of their needs and the challenges of those things. Just to take wolves as a story example, the responsiveness to environment for wolves 
is incredible. Their very complex social relations and their connection to available resources, so much so that even from very early on, a mother wolf with young in her womb will respond to the environment and not necessarily give birth if they sense that conditions are too harsh, that a winter is going on too long. They can even reabsorb pups into the womb and not give birth. But when a wolf mother does give birth in a pack, there is a whole social system in place already. And when she's in her den with her cubs, she teaches her cubs by going out and rubbing and touching and gathering the smells of the pack and then teaching her pups how to respond to the different hierarchies that exist and the different types of niches that individual wolves occupy. So you have leaders of the pack that are given food that is particularly for them to develop brain and intelligence. They, When they're eating a carcass, the food will be divided in ways that are related to the roles that different wolves take in the pack. So parts of the stomach, which is then lots of the grains or the plant-based diet that the prey animal has eaten. And so then they have different responses in their hormonal and aggression and passivity is affected. Again, the leaders of the pack might get more of the rich meats of organ meat, and then the rest of the pack may get muscle and so on. And these changes affect how everyone in the pack is interacting. It's really not at that level that we can expect in modern life to understand at an instinctual level our social setup and try to replicate anything. But I think that is there and was there for indigenous ancient people who lived very closely to their environment and had complex social structures that are all about surviving in that environment and having the right roles taken on to ensure the coherence and the community of the group. In thinking about this for children, one of the things that jumps out for me is the different age and different interactions that a child might have with different members of their community around them. We tend to have children grouped together in formal school settings, where even from slightly informal mother and toddler groups to play schools and preschools and then the different years that are in formal schools, first class and so on. And yet if you think about what these more communal settings would have been like, you would have had children interacting with anyone of any age. I think it is recognized that there is, for example, a special affinity between the very young children and elders of a community. There is something of the gentleness of elders and the pace and the patience for the repetitive play and the small-scale little people that they are that are manageable for older members of the community and the giggles and the 
return, as I was speaking about in the last episode, the, the playful return to enjoyable, silly games that can be a lot of fun for both the very young and the very old. Wondering at this stage of imagining the child stepping out of toddlerhood and into more complex and perhaps specific to their personality individual play, having a range of adults, I think, that respond to the different needs of a child and having a different range of different ages of other children around them, in my experience, has been a lot easier than having a group of children all having to figure that out with only their same age peers. It's why I was very drawn to, although we didn't manage to do homeschooling exclusively for our children, we certainly experimented with it. We had stretches for some of our children who were homeschooled at different periods, and we had long stretches on different adventurous trips that we took away where we homeschooled all of them. We always were connected to these alternative types of, of school thinking and people and community and how we spent all of the gaps outside of school were in mixed age groups and as much communal experiences for our children, including sometimes just out camping or on holidays or at things that were as, as unstructured as possible. And one of the reasons could have been the different signals for our children about where they fit in. So having had with the identity thread, as I've talked about, my own challenges of fitting in, of being different than many of the other children around me, and that leading to being othered, that leading to being excluded and then bullied, I was very concerned about this and uh, in thinking about how do you find a supportive community. And it's really part of that is finding the support of community as parents, because I think that the economic stressors, pressures, and the expectations on young parents of young children in modern systems can be very intense, and that can happen either at the level of poverty, wealth, or middle class, maybe, amounts of money can alleviate some of those stressors, especially if they can hire help to help with household management or childcare in whatever form. But I think that even there, there is not the possibility of parents relaxing, spending lots of time with their children or spending lots of time communally with other parents and lots of children. And so I do see that that is something that then stresses the ability to have your children fit in, because if you have to have your child in a formal structure of a play school, and then that the child doesn't like that or suit that, or, you know, you, you slowly but surely have this dialogue between yourself as a parent and those that are caring or in charge of the education that children are to get in the world. And 
that dialogue can go really well and you can be really involved and you can have really open conversation where the those that are in the education that you're dealing with see you as the primary carer and the primary role of the educator is with you, the parents. So the decisions and so on and the supports that you're looking for for your children could come from you. But I think also it can become a othering and an us and theming where because there are stresses on the different education systems and there are stresses on the teachers and the staff in those systems and all of this really stems from the intensity of modern life and the economic stresses and the expectations of giving children the best economic chance so our survival is being tied up to this economy model where, as I heard recently in a talk uh, being referred to the master-servant role of economy being the master and us being the servants to this unwieldy master, that if you wish to enter into that, you're trying to program your children in a certain way. So getting back to the age group that I'm thinking about in play, what I have seen when I feel it is at something optimal is mixed age play with all ages of children and different adults with different interests. And the idea then that a community truly shows a child through family and friends and those around them that they can be diverse. And so the monoculture that is being created in service of the economy in a in an optimal way for children, it doesn't need to be that kind of a monoculture of education, a monoculture of experiences, and a monoculture of one type of interaction from one age to another. And when I've seen that, one of the things that stands out is when you have a child with particular challenges or particular diversity, let's say, so there's lots of words and they have lots of connotations in terms of disability or differently abled and also how that response and those language evolve in order to counter culture that is economically pushed to be ableist, to only value those that can contribute in a very specific economic way. Whereas in a, in a community of children and adults, at the age where you have children exploring and playing, what I have been privileged to witness and been part of is, is watching children find their niche, find where they like to play and explore, the quiet, contemplative children, the climbing, adventurous children, and children having access to being the readers, the writers, the artists, and exploring materials in lots of different ways, exploring their thinking and their emotions and all of these things being welcomed and then finding essentially the companions that become part of their later tribe in adult life. And I think that when talking about this supportive community for the parents, the sort of community for the children that then it's 
also all the signals and all of the management of what is comfortable for a child or what is stressful for a child, it enters a new territory where I'm not describing only comfortable experiences for children at this age, but something that is a space in order to explore tolerance ranges and growth zones, if you like, because we grow and we stretch with new experiences that are often at the edge of our tolerance. If we go to intolerable spaces, if we go into completely stressed and unsupported and unsafe spaces, then what we're doing in those spaces is simply managing the stress, simply managing the challenge, or potentially simply managing the trauma. And those are the kinds of spaces where we might experience a disassociation. We might experience a, a running away. We might experience in conforming in order not to stand out. But if we are in a space that moves between our comfort zone, the places that we like to be, the exploring we like to have, with edges, and that's where those other companions bring those edges. And I've been mainly speaking about human companions up to this point, but also all of the companions available to us in the natural world are things that can play with our tolerance ranges. And whether that in early childhood is tolerances of sensation of too wet, too dry, too hot, too cold, and so on, when children are exploring toys of are of their making sometimes, or that they have available to them. It's Is it too rough or too wild or too hard or too soft? Might be in, in games of rolling about or sword play or climbing games. And the companions that could be part of those might be those companions that's, that the child feels that slight thrill of the edge of safety, the tolerance that plays in a rougher game with an older child and the squealing and then the maybe going to an edge of, of discomfort and consent and feeling unsafe again and then maybe pulling back or learning that's the kind of companion I need to stay away from at the moment. That doesn't feel fun for me. It's not it's not a growth zone. It's uh, outside of that. And parents also watching and paying attention to that to see where their children are being stretched or overstretched into something. And there's real sensitivity to that, I think, in carers. And yet there's also the edge for the parents of having their growth or their tolerance where there might be an instinct to protect and to save children from any discomfort. And so there are those kind of either between the different parents or the different siblings or the other adults around or the young adults or young children, it can be these constant diverse interactions that help with growth, that help with that growth zone experiences and exploring, if you like, right up to the edges of the self. And these are the kinds of game processes and play processes 
that can then allow whatever your ability, whatever your capacity to be fully explored, to fully find out where those ranges of tolerances are. And certainly in my experience of mixed age groups through different education settings that my kids experienced and friends who homeschooled and watching that, it's really interesting where the confidences and the curiosities of children somehow are the same edge. So where a child edges towards something they're curious about, and even when they might be slightly afraid of it, but they can edge towards it at their own pace, not being pushed by circumstances and maybe having different companions in the animal kingdom and plant kingdom and insect kingdom, all those curiosities can be the exploration of the edge for a child of what's tolerable for them and what settles them again as well. The notion of, of babyhood is about being able to, to slowly be soothed by those around you to the point where you can self-soothe. This is the stage and age of children finding little safe spaces and hiding under beds and in cupboards and finding places in the outdoors, leaning against a tree trunk or hiding in under tall plants and kind of knowing where to retreat to from play and exploration and knowing what is soothing. But I suppose to just contrast that then with experiences that I've seen and witnessed in my own children and also in the children of people that I saw as a creative arts therapist is that depending on the children, the ability to not just survive some of the formal school settings, but also to be able to truly thrive there, I would see the children for whom that isn't happening. So there are, of course, children who thrive all sorts of environments just as there are adults who thrive. But there's also things that you might not see underneath that say, well, I can thrive in appearance in this world. I can look like I have adapted, but what's going on underneath might be building in me, might not work for my growth zone, might be so far out of my comfort zone that they're stressed and they're miserable. And they can then manifest that in behaviors. They can manifest that in acting out strong feelings. They can manifest it in withdrawal and they can manifest it in school refusal, not wanting to go into the formal system. And I think that we're in a very unique time in this year of just coming up now for the release of this episode at the year mark of the pandemic arriving into Ireland. And what has happened for so many parents who were used to the system that they were able to go to work and to do what they needed to do to survive in this economic system. And their children were going to school and those children that maybe were differently abled were getting extra supports and extra stimulus. So, uh, you know, outside of, of the home because many parents don't live in community, don't live connected to lots of adults from their family or different ages, don't have a community of friends around them. And so 
in particular children in this year that have needed extra adult support haven't been getting it and there's a feeling amongst I know many parents of of watching those children step back rather than grow rather than be moving in a progression of some kind of milestones for them in development and then for many parents who have children in the primary school system or secondary school system and that they have been forced into homeschooling, into a life that they didn't design with that in mind. And that's a really different piece about choice. Um, as I said, I felt very privileged to at times be able to economically and to create structure around our lives where we could be around our children and therefore do some degree of homeschooling. Or we've been able to enroll our children in alternative school systems and that's really not accessible to very, very many people. So most people who've been having what they call a homeschool experience is really very different from homeschooling that's deliberately designed as that, where you have usually a group of families that work as community. We have coming to our farm, we have a group like that normally. They call themselves the homeschool village, and I think that's a perfect description for what I've been trying to describe here. But if you don't have that, I think that there's a really tension for many people in their households at the moment between recognizing that some parts of their children have been thriving without the structure, but other parts without companionship of others or other adults have not been thriving. And they themselves have, as adults who haven't set up or been able to set up their network of support, you've got really isolated parents living in homes without support with children and feeling like they're not actually able to provide this social support that I've been describing that we as humans best develop within, like our monkey and ape and wolf relatives. So those are my thoughts on this next stage of childhood is, is really about that community of support that is there for all the mixed ages and all the elders and toddlers and all the parents and their support networks and their community of exchange for figuring out how to best meet the needs of their children and to challenge them to grow at the edge of their selves.